1: This is 105.9 The Region. I'm Tina Cortez with On The Market, York Region's exclusive radio real estate show. Our expert from RE-MAX Prime Properties is Asif Khan. Good morning, Asif. Good morning, Tina. Asif, the head of Canada's housing agency says extending mortgage amortizations and changing the threshold to qualified for an insured mortgage aren't the answer to the country's housing affordability challenges. Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation CEO Romy Bowers says she's not in favor of expanding amortizations because it increases a borrower's costs over time. What I worry about is sometimes that seems like a quick fix. Oh, if you just have 30-year amortization, everyone's you know mortgage payments will go down by $200 and they can actually afford the house. But if you're in a supply-constrained market and that's your solution, it's not going to solve the problem in the long term. Rather than stoke demand with such measures, she'd like to see the country focus on boosting supply, which Canada has been short of for years. Asif? And to discuss this further, Tina, our first guest
2: today is Colin Mason from the mortgage domain. Colin, welcome back to On The Market. Thank you for having me. Colin, as we just heard, the CEO of the CMHC does not think that 30-year amortization is good for the industry. And you and I have discussed... Longer term amortization to help people get into the market. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts on why a 30, 35 year mortgage amortization could be a good thing.
3: Uh, well, I mean, uh, it's, you know, I think when you take a look at the demographic of the people that are purchasing properties, first time home buyers, uh, longer amortizations, these, these are usually, they tend to be among the younger generations and I really don't see why they are expected to uh, work within such a short uh, amortization. It's just making it more difficult for them to uh, be able to get into the housing market. So I, I, I can't, I must admit it's not something that I would agree with. I think that you know, we've had uh, longer amortizations in the past. It didn't seem to uh, you know, maybe we, maybe we don't go 40 years, but obviously stretching the payments down, through increasing amortization is going to uh, make it easier for people to qualify. And I think that's the biggest problem we're running into right now.
1: So why do you think the CMHC came out with this side of, of the story? You know, why are they thinking that? You know, what it's it's not the best idea. And if it, you know, if we've been used to twenty or twenty five year mortgages previously, why go in the other direction?
3: Well, I I think it's it's one more example of. Uh, you know, if, if clients aren't allowed to or aren't able to manage their own financial situation, it, it, they have to be uh, babysat to, in order to do it. I, mm-hmm. I think that that's sort of what we're seeing right now. It's, it's people are not being trusted with their own financial judgments. Um, you know, we know what's best for you, I guess is sort of the, the philosophy. I don't agree with it. Um, uh, you know, I don't really want to get into, you know, politics or anything of that scenario, but I mean, at the end of the day, uh you know like i said it's it it may not be you know holding a, a debt load for a long period of time it it's an easy thing to say that it's not best thing for someone you want to pay your mortgage off as soon as possible of course but the reality is most people probably listening to this show are going to realize that you know that's not always feasible life happens people need to use the equity in their home in order to pay for life's expenses, and I think it's it's punitive to uh, expect that people are, especially particularly in the GTA, where, you know, you can't, if you take a look at the CMEC guidelines, that means that you can't buy anything from a million dollars up. Uh, all regular qualifying requirements through the stress test, which I do agree with, I think it's, it is definitely a good way, you know, you don't want to qualify on what you, what you have today if rates are potentially going to go up, but it's, it's, there's every single stopgap to prevent someone from getting a mortgage is in play. And, and in the GTA, it, it, because you can't find properties, uh, you know, how, are you, how are first-time homebuyers going to be able to buy a property in the GTA uh, following these guidelines, just making it virtually impossible?
2: And, and Colin, when you and I were first buying houses, our thought process was how quick can we pay this house off and and, you know, can we pay it off in 20 years? Can we double down on some payments? But that thought process doesn't exist anymore with the new purchaser or their profile. It's more of the car leases. Like how much money can I get for this payment? Is that going to play a role? You know, if we can go to 30 year amortization, do you see them buying more expensive houses or just living within their means?
3: Well, uh, you know, like I said, I, people are people are have to be given the opportunity to be responsible for their own financial situation. I don't think that it's you know, there's obviously you need to um, put safeguards in place in order to protect the economy. But you know, I, I think you really need to allow people to maneuver themselves in their own financial situation and. Uh, you know, you mentioned when we were when we were younger. You know, you take a look at when we were younger, but a lot of the things, that are, the the rules that were in place back then. Like I bought my first house in '96 for $179,000. So um, rates were a little bit higher, but I still I had a 25 year amortization and my income. If you take a look at the income that I was making for the job that I was doing back then. Um, you know, when it, when you put it all in relation, it really doesn't make sense. And who would possibly be able to get a, a, a qualify for a mortgage now for that same property? It's ironic, actually, because that same property sold last summer for over a million, for just over a million dollars, and it was a little house. So, I mean, it's just it's it's very difficult for people to qualify uh, at these uh, w- unless we can help them. Stretch out. Like maybe they put a beacon score requirement. Like you need to have a certain credit score in order to have a longer amortization. Uh, maybe you need to, like for example, I found out today that a lender offering a six month term. So there was a time when CMHC said that people can't, if uh, any qualifiers, borrowers could not qualify uh, uh, without, unless it was a five year term. So, but now we're able to qualify on a six month term and, and it's a lower rate, so that allows them to, more buying power but they're, they, may, they are only gonna have a six-month term. So you know maybe they say you have to have a Beacon score of over 700 and you have to take a five-year term in order to get a 30 or 35-year amortization. Maybe there's some other things that they can do to throw it into the mix.
1: Now you mentioned a, a short-term period there. Do aid lenders or, or banks have a maximum amortization period?
3: For conventional mortgages, uh, you can go up to 30 years Okay. Uh, for high ratio mortgages, which is really what this is more referring to. It's 25 years. So those are the two maximums. So if you put 20% down, that means you can buy a property over a million dollars and you can actually stretch your amortization out to 30 years. And so we're seeing a lot of the younger generations are looking to mom and dad to help out with the down payment. So they can put the 20% down and then they can get that amortization. So obviously, but really, you know, I don't know if that's a real good solution because all you're doing is just putting the burden on to the future, the, the generation that, to this point, they've tried to pay their mortgage off and now they, many people come to us saying, I need to refinance my house and pull a couple hundred thousand dollars out so that I can help my kids buy a house. So now the parents are being burdened with this additional debt load as well. I think it's just passing the buck. I don't think it's really solving the problem. And if you have a, if for example, if you, we had one client that, that has three kids, each kid needs $200,000 in order to buy a property, you, you know, to make it a conventional mortgage, that's $600,000. So I got a borrower that's trying to get by on retirement income. He had a small mortgage. You add his mortgage onto the, what he needs to give to his three kids. He's got a mortgage of $700,000. He told me that was the highest mortgage he's ever had in his life. So here, he, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's, I think it's really shifting a lot of the financial responsibility back out into the past generations that are sort of wishing that they would be able to just retire.
2: And looking south of the border, Colin, they've got 50-year amortization. They don't have to requalify every four years or five years. What do you think of that model? And should we be looking to bring some of those aspects into the Canadian market?
3: Well, it's apples and oranges. The U.S. market is, and, and the way they do business down there is uh, miles apart. This is where I will probably, I, I'm going to lean on a little bit on the other side because the Canadian banking uh, is so secure and we're so regulated, and it is there to protect the consumer. That's why in 2008 we didn't see anywhere near the the collateral impact that they that the U.S. saw. And in fact much of what we did see was as a result of the U.S., not as a result of Canada's uh, banking system and how we regulate mortgages. So I think uh, that I, was, I, I like the stress test. I think it's a good idea. I think it's a little bit over the top right now. But, you know, five years ago when people were saying, oh, my God, why do I need to have a, a stress test? And we were, you know, qualifying people at, you know, 5%. Well, this is why, because if you take a look at interest rates today, this is why with a lot of those people's mortgages are coming up for renewal now, and they locked in at two or or three percent and now it's coming up for renewal, and they're they're getting rates of like six percent so you know so the stress test was a good idea. I think it it has worked and it's proven to do its job. I've never had a, a dispute with that i think we I think we definitely forget about like I, I know what you're saying about the u s, but I think that you can't really compare the two markets but um, i definitely think that the amortization should be extended i think that that would be an easy way especially like i said if you can put some restrictions on it like for example if you uh, are you know a repeat home buyer or maybe if your property is over a certain dollar amount there's some things that we can do or that the cmc could do to say hey let's let's create this little extra allowance but you have to meet these extra benchmarks in order to achieve it.
2: I think the solution is to get you into the CMHC. Colm, thank you very much for all that information. And if our listeners want to connect with you to talk mortgages, how do they do that?
3: Uh, basically, I, I like giving my phone It's the easiest way. It's my cell phone number, and I'm available uh, uh, most of the time. Uh, you can always call me uh, or text me. It's an easy number. It's 416
1: 676
3: 6777.
2: Colin, thanks so much again.
1: No problem. After the break, where to buy to avoid a bidding war. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us.
0: Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region.
1: Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's radio real estate show. Over to my co-host and our real estate expert, Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties, with today's next guest, Asif.
2: Thank you, Tina, and that is Benji Ketchin, CEO of Wahi. Benji, welcome back to On The Market.
4: Thank you very much.
2: Benji, Good to there's, be back. There's, there's, there's so much happening out in the market, and there's bidding wars everywhere, people are overbidding, but your tracker seems to have found a way to monitor these different areas, and tell us where people are still underbidding. Tell us a little bit more about this tracker. Uh,
4: absolutely. So, We have a tracker where we're looking at over 400 neighbourhoods throughout the GTA in as close to real-time as you can be. So it's uh, looking at the last 30 days of every transaction that's happening, and it tells you neighbourhood by neighbourhood. Is that neighbourhood in overbid or underbid territory? Uh, And it's just a colour-coded map, and blue is underbid and red is overbid, and every neighbourhood can be clicked on, and you can see how competitive that market is.
1: Okay, so let's get through some of the neighborhoods. What are the GTA's most affordable underbidding neighborhoods?
4: Well, uh, in our tracker, uh, we've listed five neighborhoods in the month of May that are the most affordable underbid neighborhoods. Um, those neighborhoods are York University Heights in North York, Yorkville in North York, Aaron Mills in Mississauga, Concord in Vaughan, and Smith-Clairville in Etobicoke. All of those are at an affordable level of around $650,000, $700,000, and they're all under bid.
2: And, Bench, does this take into account the number of condominiums available? Is it uh, a cross section uh, right across the board? Tell us a little bit more about the specifics of these stats.
4: Uh, certainly. So, many of these neighborhoods are more focused on volume of condominium. At that price point in the GTA, they're definitely more condo-centric neighborhoods, but there's a mix of neighborhoods. Um, the, the, the good news or bad news, depending on what your perspective is, is that the GTA market has changed dramatically over the last several months. If we look back just till uh, January or even December last year, for many, many months, we were only seeing between 5 and 15% of the neighborhoods in the GTA being overbid. That's quickly changed as the spring market came upon us. This month, we're at 68% of all of the neighborhoods are actually overbid. Now, I don't necessarily look at that as a bidding frenzy. I think many uh, people would say, oh, there's a bidding frenzy going on. People are bidding like crazy on houses. What I actually think is happening is sellers are realistic with their pricing, and they're pricing their houses to sell. And as a result, when they price them to sell, uh, many bidders come and say, okay, maybe I'm going to get a good deal here. And Uh, depending on how low they priced it, uh, you may get multiple people coming to the table, and then you end up selling at a price above what they were asking.
1: Hmm. And at the top of your list is um, York University Heights. What can you tell us about this neighbourhood specifically?
4: York University Heights is uh, just east of uh, Jaden Finch. Um, It's bounded by Steeles to the west, Dufferin's to the east, Shepherd to the west, Dairy Downs, and Northwood Parks to the west. Um, It's really named for the 460-acre post-secondary campus in its northwestern section. Uh, And it's actually connected to the rest rest of the city now because of the completion of the York University subway uh, line. And uh, we see a median sold price there of $630,000 and a median underbidding amount of $4,000. So it's sort of at the more affordable end of a neighborhood in the GTA that is connected to the subway system.
1: And it's not far from us here in York Region. Another location here in York Region, also on the same list, and I know you don't have it in front of you, we do here, um, but it is Concord in Vaughan. What can you tell us about that neighbourhood?
4: Concord in Vaughan. So that's just north of the previous neighbourhood that we mentioned, York University Heights um, and Black Creek. It's a suburban industrial district. It's actually known for its relative affordability, um, especially compared to pricier pockets of Vaughan. Um, such as Crestwood, Spring Farm, York Hill, um, but also the arrival of uh, the Line 1 University Subway Extension in 2017, it's actually spurred a lot of high-rise development there in and around the community, and that's really boosted housing options for first-time homebuyers or empty nesters who are uh, downsizing. The median price there was $670,000, and we saw in the month of May that the median underbid compared
2: to asking was about $9,000. And, Benji, looking at this list of underbid areas, it being from Markham, I think one of them that surprises me is number nine, Thornhill in Markham, with a, a medium, median underbid amount of $4,000. Did any of these jump out at you? Did, were there any surprises amongst these 10 underbid areas?
4: I think the common theme that we see right now in these underbid areas are they're probably neighborhoods just next to some of the more uh, expensive areas nearby. Um, for instance, in downtown, there's neighborhoods to the extremities of downtown, or uh Thorin Hill is maybe next to some of the more expensive areas uh, in Markham, uh, but it's at a price point in the $600,000, $800,000 area. Uh, that's still affordable, relatively speaking, compared to many of the more expensive neighborhoods in the GTA. Um, there's also neighborhoods next to uh, next to Thornhill that are also under bid, such as uh, Richvale or Vaughan Uplands. So there are a few Vaughan neighborhoods that are under bid. Unfortunately, the majority of them are in actually in overbidding territory, but there are a few gems that are still out there.
1: So, let's check out that overbidding list, and Markham dominated that list for the most overbid neighborhoods capturing four of the five top slots. What can you tell us?
4: Um, it's a continued trend that we have seen month over month that Vaughn home sellers are pricing their houses to sell. They're pricing them uh, on these four neighborhoods. they're pricing them two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand dollars below what they're actually selling at. And as a result, there's uh, many people that are actually buying in Markham and it's creating bidding wars and they're paying closer to the true value. All of these Markham neighborhoods are priced between 1.4 and 1.8 million. So they're at a little bit of the higher end of the spectrum. But when somebody prices a $1.8 million property at 1.5 or 1.6, buyers are gonna come and hope that they get a deal. And often that results in a bidding war.
2: And a lot of these Markham areas, Wismer, Raymerville, Cathedral Town, Buttonville, they're all high-end, detached homes, and we, we don't see a lot of condos in there. With Some of these underbid areas that you've pointed out do have a lot of condos. Have you seen completions of new-built condos play a role in this, and, and if so, how much?
4: I would say that in our tracker, it's much less tracking the new builds versus the resales as we're tracking anything that's going through the MLS system. So this over or under bidding is actually directly a result of the resales, and the new bills wouldn't play a factor in that.
1: Benji, what's your biggest takeaway for buyers and sellers out there right now then?
4: I think the biggest takeaway is, despite all of the news that we hear about uh, rising interest rates, which is true, uh, and affordability concerns, which is also true, that Toronto and the GTA and York region and its environs is a large and very dynamic market. And we're seeing a lot of activity very similar to other previous spring markets before COVID. And as a result of that, while there's a little bit more activity, so to speak, at the lower end price points of the market, uh, anything that we're seeing that is well-priced Below two to two and a half million dollars, uh, it's selling and it's selling pretty quickly. And, and I think it's a it's an interesting time if you're trying to sell. It's probably a good time to sell if you price it right. Uh, and it's also a competitive time to buy. Uh, most of the time over the last 10-15 years, it's been pretty competitive as a buyer, and that is true now as well.
2: And before I let you go. There's a, a specific aspect of this report that f- focused on high-end homes, so those that are, you know, over to the two, three million dollar mark, and they seem to be sitting a lot longer and also selling for underbidding prices. Tell us a little bit about the findings there.
4: One hundred percent. So we have uh, five high-end neighborhoods, and those really lead the underbidding charge uh, in in terms of our report for the month of May. Um, some of these are selling at asking, but we have five neighborhoods ranging from Forest Hill in uh, central Toronto, uh, Vales of Humber and Brampton, Old Oakville, Southwest Oakville and Hollow in North York. All of those neighborhoods are priced in the very high $1 million range, almost $2 million up to over 3000000 and million. They're selling in underbidding territory right now. Um, the As I've said, the I mean, it's not the majority of neighborhoods that are under, in underbidding. It's only about 30% of neighborhoods are in underbidding territory right now, but they're largely predominated by these higher-priced neighborhoods, such as the ones I've just mentioned.
2: Interesting report for sure. If people want to read more about it or find an underbid area to go into, how can they do that?
4: Uh, absolutely. Uh, the link to our uh, tool is available on our website, wahi.com market pulse so if you google market pulse at wahee.com you can play with the tool yourself and see all of the neighborhoods in uh real time with the rolling 30-day prices
2: benji thanks so much for joining us once again
4: my pleasure thank you for having
0: me
1: when we come back your real estate questions this is on the market on 105.9 the region stay with us
0: need to connect with asif khan from remax prime properties call him 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email ossoff at thehomeshop.ca. Now back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region.
1: Welcome back to On the Market. Your questions for Ossif Khan are next, and we begin with Jonah in Richmond Hill. He heard the story about a Markham home selling more than half a million dollars over asking Because of the street number. Is this a true story and how does this happen? Asif, what do you know about this one?
2: Well, there certainly are uh, stories about street numbers coming into play when they're selling. You know, it could have a, a negative effect on a home or it could have a positive effect. And a while back, there was a big rush to City Hall in Markham with people wanting to change their numbers in order to get a better price for their home. So yeah, it does happen. There are some lucky numbers out there for certain people that they would love to have as their house number. There's also been house numbers that uh, may not be good luck or signs of death that people will want to stay away from and avoid. So it does play a role, especially in Markham, it does play a role in the sale price and and also the the number of people coming out to see it. But it's not only that there's certain other things. Are you in a T intersection that, you know, do your stairs face the front door when you open it up? There's so many other factors that go into the Feng Shui of a house that does determine what the value would be. So if there was a lucky number that someone wanted to overpay just to be there, uh, that is understandable in Markham.
1: Have you experienced this yourself, Asif, with your own clients?
2: Definitely. There's, a, you know, it's the demographic in Markham is such that uh, they're they're very dependent on the feng shui of a property, and if the flow is not right, if there's something that complicates the 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 home itself in terms of the staircase or windows or anything like that, water being in a certain area of the home, then it does play a role in the sale price and also the ability to sell a home quick and for most money.
1: Lori from King wants to know more about garden suites is this a good idea to create additional income? Is she allowed to do it in her area? Asif, what do you know about this?
2: You would have to consult with the municipality and make sure it's okay to do so, but it is getting more and more popular in the city itself. In York region, not so much as yet, but it definitely is a great way to create another income stream and at the same time, create a housing opportunity for someone. So, And Markham, you're starting to see more and more people choose the carriage house concept. So, you know, a space above the garage that they could actually convert into a home itself or a rental unit. So we are seeing that. And you'll start to see more and more of this as we move forward as the supply really starts to suffer. And right now we are at a critical level of supply. There's not a lot of homes. There's talks of laneway housing, garden homes, and there's so much talk going on right now that I can see it, you know, more municipalities jumping into it and and making it accessible for people.
1: Let's take a step back. What exactly is a garden suite for those who don't know? So it's basically you're
2: creating a rental opportunity if you have a larger yard or if or if you have a garage and you want to create a suite over that there's more opportunity for people to do that and rent it out in some municipalities whereas in other municipalities they say no you know there's there's some areas in the city where even basement apartments are not legal right now but we're starting to see uh, you know Markham allowed that a few years ago so we're starting to see more and more people jump onto it because one the the pricing uh, is unaffordable right now in a lot of areas so people rely on the rental aspect of a basement unit or a garden unit that they can help pay their mortgage and the other thing is there's not a lot of rentals so where are people going to live and this is another opportunity for people to be able to rent affordably and still be in, in a nice part of the city
1: Would the garden suite be under the same rules and restrictions as if you were renting any other space in your home or a standalone unit?
2: Yeah, and you'd still have to abide by the fire codes and everything Mm. like that, make sure that everything is safe. So you're going to have to have, if you're going to make it a a legal garden suite or a legal rental unit, you want to make sure the fire department comes in and, and gives you the you know, the down low of of what's acceptable and what's not and what can be considered a hazard and what's not because then there could be huge implications and uh, your insurance would be affected by it. So there's a lot that goes into it.
1: And your first recommendation, though, is check with your municipality.
2: Yes, check with the municipality, make sure that it's
1: legal, and then you can proceed. As a reminder, if you have questions for on the market, hit send anytime to info at 1059 region.com But Asif, if our listeners prefer to contact you directly, how can they do that?
2: They can always reach me at 416-985-5426.
1: If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Tina Cortez. Thank you for listening.